This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. This thing tends to twist and turn and refuse to be defined. The podcast that began as a horror movie exposure therapy podcast via Wikipedia. And still is. I don't want to be like, it's not that anymore. That is still very much the thesis of Spooko. I completely accept that (laughs) and withdraw any suggestion that it wasn't that anymore. (laughs) So if you wanted to start out the podcast, that's fine. But if I'm still doing it, um, there's all sorts of advice I don't like accepting and don't like giving. And I think my favourite advice to not accept and not give is parenting advice. I really... I'm not interested in unsolicited (laughs) suggestions of how I might be going about things. And so I've tried to keep up my end of the the bargain by not offering unsolicited advice on parenting myself. But I have one friendly suggestion to make that I've bumped into that is a sort of all-time bit of advice, and it's a game called Car Mode, (laughs) and essentially you're playing with your children, like with your child, so you might be wrestling on the couch, and you explain that your parent, that as a parent, you've got two modes. One mode is car mode, and one mode is calm mode. <laughs> and so, in car in car mode, you're going to be really sort of frantic and tickling them and going, vroom, 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 "I'm a car, blah blah." <laughs> I'm a car. <laughs> and as they're being tickled, they're like, "No, no, go into calm mode." And it's like, "Yeah, I'm in car mode. It's awesome." <laughs> <laughs> When you're in calm mode of like having a sleep or relaxing, whatever, it's like, no, go into car mode. It's like, no, no, I'm already in. (laughs) I'm already in calm mode. And it's like, no, I said car mode. It's like, yeah, I know, calm mode. And it's a game that plays itself. Basically, you start start playing it and you don't need to think about anything for 20 minutes and you're entertaining your children. It's great. Peach, I'm so glad you started this episode with... Mm. A really sweet moment of levity. I'm totally going to take car car mode on the road with me. By on the road, I mean back to my child. To the couch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but mm. every ad on TV right now is like, we're living in unprecedented times. Like, yeah, yes, lots of shit is happening. But particularly in Australia right now, things are mm. more toxic than usual because yep. we're in an election season. So every yes. three years there's a federal mm. election and yes. both parties are given like six weeks, I think, just to basically mm-hmm. stop working and just campaign for six weeks. <laughs> it just sucks. Like the influence of American politics has just been felt globally. Mm. Basically there's no real policy. Well, I mean, there is policy talk, but it's drowned out by just you're either on our side or you're not. Everything's so polarizing. Yeah. And I'm finding it very depressing, Peach. How about you? Uh, hate it. Hate it. Uh, and had an argument with a colleague last night um, who was like, oh, Labor. So Labor's the sort of centrist, formerly progressive centrist party is, is not left-wing enough. So I'm going to vote for the Liberal Party. And in Australia, we call it Liberal Party. 
that's our conservative party and sorry for the irritating name. And it's like, oh, no, well, like there are all sorts of other ways to make your progressive voice felt. And it's like, no, no, Labor hasn't done enough, the Greens haven't done enough to be progressive or left-wing enough, so I'm voting. And it's just... And, Did you work with the Joker? Oh. <laughs> I sort of see chaos. And look, the frustrating thing about my profession is that if you do a lot of corporate work, which is all I do, you go to extremes of the horseshoe, you're either like, we don't even need tax. We don't even need poor people. Like, let's just, we don't need like hospitals and shit. I'll pay if I get sick. I'll pay if my kid needs a school. Everyone else should fuck off. <laughs> um, it's like one end. Um, versus those of us who develop a bit of like a self-loathing capitalist point of view, which is one we've explored many times on the podcast. And we're the minority, um, but we're also the most fun. So it's sort of a delicate balance. So you're filthy, disgusting, hyper-capitalists still like hanging out with us, which means they tend to buy the drinks at the end. So it works well. So, I mean, we've said it before, we'll say it again. Mm -hmm. If you vote conservative, it's a selfish vote. You're allowed to vote selfishly, that's fine. But the world is pretty fucked right now and now's not the time to be thinking only about yourself. But that, that line of thinking... Mm. is kind of problematic at the moment where everything is so us versus them. And mm. we've we've tried us versus them for quite a few years now <laughs> and nothing's really working. And I am not trying to be a centrist. I'm not trying to be an apologist for anything. I am not trying to be an everything has two sides person. I'm not doing any of those things. Shag, you got friends on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Good on you. Good on no, you. what I am trying mm. to say is I, I wonder if there's some sort of meeting in the middle at some point on some issues that could help make things better. And I think we can do that in our podcast. I think we've started a lot of beefs and I want to settle one of those beefs with a director called uh, Fede Alvarez, who directed Don't Breathe. We made some jokes about... Well, no, we made some jokes about how the only reason he wrote Don't Breathe is because everybody was upset with the amount of blood in Evil Dead and he was like, well, I'll just just make a film without blood, is that... If he's just accepting more feedback, then I don't feel we've reached a compromise. I feel he's, like, succumbed to everything we've had to say. No, no, but... But but I guess what I wanted to get to the point is today we're doing the sequel to Don't Breathe and... Surprising me most of all, it's <laughs> my favorite horror movie sequel I've seen in a while. It goes places you will not expect. Like already, you're like, how the fuck can you have a sequel to Don't Breathe? Don't worry, Fede's yeah. got you covered. It's also the most morally grey. So there's no, there is no like you, you can't. It, it'd be very hard to take a very resolute viewpoint on this film. This is the most morally grey horror film we've done in a long time. I'm very excited about this. Today, Peach, we are doing Don't Breathe 2. It's the 2022 election episode (laughs) where you hate everyone. (laughs) You almost got me, didn't you, boy? We had a lot of fun today. I could take her again next week. No, home is safer. Coming with us, kid. Get the girl! It's not me you need to be scared of, little girl. 
But the man standing next to you, now I don't know who he is, but I know who he's not. Should I tell her or you? He's gonna come for me. Now you are gonna see what I see. Oh my god. <laughs> Normally every single trailer I watch, I'm like, ugh. I would watch that movie right now. That looked thrilling. I actually like this is why I'm like, I'm bearing the beef with Fede. I think this is this is, if not a perfect horror movie, it's definitely a perfect horror movie sequel because it builds on the world in the most unexpected way, but also the most twisted and fucked up way. So let oh, me God. let me set the scene. If you do not remember, in Don't Breathe <clears throat> One there was a retired Navy SEAL who was blind, Norman Nordstrom, lived in a rundown Detroit suburb, but his daughter had been involved in a fatal car accident. So he was in possession of something like 300 grand, which he kept in a safe. So a couple of kids try to break into the house to try and steal it because they're like, look, he's blind. He's clearly not using the money. Like it, it was already morally gray what they were doing, but they were kind of the heroes. When they break in, turns out he's super good at fighting. But not only that, he has a dungeon downstairs where he keeps the woman responsible for his daughter's fatality tied up, ready to be artificially inseminated against her will to create a new daughter for him, at which point he will let her go. Like, that was the story of Don't Uh, Breathe One, right? Yeah. Anyway, at the end of it, everybody's rescued. They get out of there. He's sort of left to die, but at the in the in the post credits, we realize he's not dead, right? Horror movie style. Yeah, like he's probably dead. But they get mm. on like a train or a plane, like out of Detroit. He is still blind, and you know the house and the dungeon were his playground where he could, you know, really mm. make use of the the layout to his advantage. Outside of it, he's not really a threat anymore. How the fuck? Do you make a sequel to Don't Breathe, even though it was a successful film? And as we say, every successful horror film has to have multiple sequels. Yes. They turn him into the good guy. But. Yes. But. It's not quite that. Like, all right. Okay. So, so, all right. Like, a few facts before we begin. Very cheap film. Made for $15 million because I think they filmed it in Serbia. Pretty full on that you could be like Serbia and Detroit. Basically the same place. (laughs) Still made $50 million off 15, so I think there's going to be another sequel. And you'll see at the end, they definitely set it up for maybe there'll be a Don't Breathe 3 or Don't Breathe Origin or Don't (laughs) Breathe Returns. (laughs) We find his old military medal or something. Yeah, okay, nice. So, okay. So eight years after the events of the first film, blind Navy SEAL veteran Norman Nordstrom lives in a very remote Detroit suburb. So this time it's very much this house is basically in a forest. Yeah, it's a very Serbian sort of house. Yeah, very Serbian. A classic, <laughs> a classic Serbian bungalow. Yeah. Uh, now, this is eight years after the events of the first film. He lives mm. there with his Rottweiler shadow and mm. an eleven year old girl called Phoenix. Mm. Norman tells Phoenix that her birth mother died in a fire in their old house. Mm. Anyway, so Hernandez is Norman's only connection with society and a veteran army ranger. And we find that out because there's this telling scene where they have a chat and she's basically like, hey, you've got to stop homeschooling this girl and let her see society and you should see society too. And she's like, 
I know you've done terrible things. And he's like, uh, what? And, you know, like ready to like chop her head off. <laughs> and, he, and she's like, we all did. We've all been in the army. We've all killed people. And he's like, oh, phew, just the regular terrible <laughs> things I did. Not the <laughs> actual. Not the actual best. <laughs> <laughs> but also you, imagine just being like, oh, for fuck's sake, I've done so many terrible things. <laughs> I think we talk about anxiety from time to time on this podcast. Do you just be like, oh, no, this is the moment when, uh, when they find out. <laughs> So, 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 so. Mm. He relents because also Phoenix, like, loves him, clearly. Mm. But it's also like, I want to go and hang out with normal people. I don't want to learn how to hunt and learn how to be an army ranger. Yeah, it's Little Mermaid. I get it. Yeah, but she's, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. So they just, they go on, like, a little trip into town. Now, Norman doesn't go. Uh, our girl Hernandez takes Phoenix in. Um, mm. While she's in there, she sort of watches some kids playing wistfully. Has this fantasy like you realize after where she goes up to them and is like hey guys i'll show you a cool way to use my bike to make this um this roundabout this whirly sort of roundabout thing in the playground go super fast and it's this nice little moment and then you realize it's just this sort of fantasy she has in her mind while she watches the kids hernandez is like hey we got to go back you ready to go she's like i just got to use the toilet at this like rest station she goes in there where she's accosted by a really scary biker looking individual and it's kind of a really fucked up moment, but she's also with the dog, and the guys like the guys the guys like hey like I can't remember what the approach is, but mm. it's it it feels like he's trying to abduct her. She doesn't get scared, and he's basically like, "Do I scare you?" And she's like, "No, like should you or something?" And then it's a cool moment where you realize she's actually really fucking tough, but it's also super scary. Sick. Anyway. His gang then follows Hernandez's van back to Norman's where they wait for Hernandez to drop Phoenix off. Then they kill her when she leaves. And their way of killing is to just hammering. Like what? Like they're a gang where there's the leader who's the biker looking individual, but then the rest of them are all like, cuckoo. They're like, I'm I'm just crazy. It's Harley. It's Harley Quinn or whatever. Yeah. Okay. The the hammer gang. Yeah. They're the hammer gang. And so they just smash her in the head with a hammer and it's pretty brutal and awful. And (laughs) it was not, like deserved but that's when we know from the start it's like okay well because c- straight away you're like wait a minute norman's the bad guy because what's he doing with this girl but then you see yep. hammer gang and you're like oh no 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 hammer gang's the bad guy because they just smashed this girl so from the beginning they're trying to like test who your allegiances are with and like who you can decide to sort of sip for anyway it's interesting right like, like and, and you're right that is the classic horror sequel trope of like women to love freddy by Freddy 3 or whatever. I went to be like, yes, Freddy, fucking kill him. Let's go. Like, <laughs> let's get it. And I, and I imagine already we're like, Norman, Normanson, go kill him. Let's do it. So they then go to the house. They lure mm. Shadow away. Remember the dog fucked things up in the first film? So this one, they're like, we're not going to, even though they're not the same gang from the first one, I think yeah. it's to tell the audience, <laughs> okay, don't worry. Like, we're not going to have to worry about a dog this time. So straight away, they lure the dog away and kill the dog. So again, uh-huh. these guys are super bad, right? They kill this, um, they kill an armory ranger. They've killed a dog in brutal ways. Norman Ugh. finds Shadow outside, realizes there's somebody coming for them, so immediately tells Phoenix to go <clears> to <throat> the box. Right? He says, go okay. to the box. And the panic room style scenario. Is co- what yeah, so so we've seen we've just seen shots of this box already in the film. And this is the first red herring of the film where it's like, oh, it's all gonna be out be about this fucked up box, and that's gonna be the whole thing, right? So she runs down and she basically just locks herself in this magician's box. So when the gang come in, 
They can't get to her. He kills a few of the members of the gang, but he can't kill them all. Eventually, they get her out of the box by flooding it. And he, like, all of this stuff happens. She hides in the box. Turns out the box is a total red herring. It's just a place for her to be safe, but she's not safe. They get out. Eventually, Norman kills a few of them. They're cornered. And the gang leader, Raylan, is like to Phoenix, hey, do you know why we're here? And Norman's like, don't, don't tell them. Don't tell her anything, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, we're here because I'm your dad. And I'm coming to take you back from the man who abducted you eight years ago. And to prove it. Now, this to me, I'm like, this isn't perfect. He's like, he reveals that they both have a melon streak, which is when you have a patch of your hair that is missing melanin. So it's just white, basically. And I'm like, if Peach, if I showed up to your work and it's like, hey, I know you think you know who your dad is, but guess what? I also like wearing braces. I'm your dad. I'm like, oh, this is pretty. I'm going to need some time to think about this. Anyway, so it is revealed that Phoenix's house burned down after a meth lab explosion in the basement and Raylan had been jailed for eight years. So Phoenix's parents ran a meth lab. Yes. Okay. So Norman rescued her and instead of being like, I'm going to take you to the authorities or whatever, it was like, I'm just going to raise you as my own. Again. Oh, God. So like, so we're papering over the like rape and imprisonment plot from the first film. Yeah, be like, yeah it's not quite that. He's a, good, he's a good man who just wants to rescue meth kids and oh, raise them as God. his own. But this is what That's... I mean, right? Like it's so like I, I didn't, the whole film, I did not know how I felt about any of the characters. Uh, I do feel like almost this is this is our director again being like, oh, sorry, was <laughs> was he a bit too, was that a bit too dark? No, no, no. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. We can sort it out in the next one. <laughs> but also like, yes, I get that he has the, crazy gang and they've done some horrible things but at the same time he's been in prison for eight years and he just wants his daughter back so again you're just kind of like oh is, is he the good guy like is, oh, did, did, did they just did they was this like smoke and mirrors where we thought Norman was the good guy but he was still the bad guy all along anyway okay so Norman found Phoenix unconscious in the wreckage and took her home to take the place of his dead daughter poor old Norman just wants someone to take the place of his dead daughter <laughs> Can yeah. somebody like it's so, like for fuck's sake? <laughs> <laughs> Can someone replace my fucking dead daughter? Now, oh upon release, Raylan saw Phoenix alive when she left flowers at her mother's memorial. Phoenix is chloroformed by a gangster. Oh, Raylan God. sets his own dog to kill Norman, who traps the animal in the attic. The gang sets the house on fire and leaves with Phoenix. Norman then befriends the dog as they escape together and the dog oh, and, and uses the dog to lead him to the gang's hotel hideout. Now that is how dogs work, I must say. They're like, oh, I think you're the goody in this one. <laughs> I think yeah. I've been working out. <laughs> I've been working for the wrong for the wrong guy. Actually, that's a really good point. The whole audience is like, I don't know what to believe. The dog's like, no, I've I've worked it out. <laughs> I did like that the theme of dogs came up as well. The film, the film, like the director's like, mm, we've got to make sure we get get that real hot dog content. Now, one. Peach, are you ready for the uh, moral and emotional <laughs> roller coaster to continue? 
Uh, I'm pretty sure I know what's going to happen. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. Yeah, you think you know what's going to happen. That's what I love about this film. This is the part where I was like, oh, actually, I think I love this film for how ridiculous this is. So at the hotel, Phoenix is like, I want to go back and see Norman. I don't care if he's not my dad. And basically, Raylan is like, I'm not going to keep you prisoner. He kept you in this house in the forest and wouldn't let you see him. If you want to leave, you can leave. Like, that's Dude. like, I just wanted to see you. And she's like, cool, I'm going to leave. Packs her bag. As she's about to leave this decrepit hotel, and, and as she leaves, all of the gang sort of look at her in this sort of like depressed sort of like, oh, way. Like, and you don't really know why. Like, it's a weird moment. And they all just, and they're all just letting her, no one's stopping her. So she's about to leave when all of a sudden this wheelchair, motorized wheelchair appears out of the darkness what? With a woman who's like, hey, actually, guess what? Did you know your mom didn't die? She's alive and it's me. And I think she does it by like singing a song that maybe Phoenix remembers when she was a baby. But that's, that's a really weird way to phrase it. Like if I was to come to the room like, hey, guess what? Your friend Peach is still around. And I'm like, it's just a really weird way. <laughs> anyway. So she's basically like, your mom's still alive and I just want to be a family again. And so Phoenix is like, oh, okay, and turns around and and she's still feeling a bit uneasy, but she's also like, no, you're my mom. All I've ever wanted was my mom. So I guess I'm going to stay here. Raylan's like, hey, can I get you a juice, kiddo? Now, this is really important. And Phoenix is like, cool. So she, so Raylan gets the Phoenix theme, The juice. theme of juice. All right, we've got dog, tick, juice. Tick. She starts drinking it. And mm. at that point, the mother explains that eight years ago, she triggered the explosion while cooking meth. It resulted in the poisoning of her internal organs. Tara's parents have inducted Phoenix not to have her as a family again, but because Tara, but because Tara the mother, is the meth cook, is the only one that can keep the meth going, but her organs are, in, uh, are poisoned, so she needs a transplant from someone who has healthy organs, oh. and the only person she can get a transplant from is a family member, meaning oh Phoenix. So they've kidnapped her, not to be like, we want you as a family again. To they kidnapped her, her to harvest her organs. Oh, my God. And when Phoenix is like, oh, fuck, turns out the juice was drugged, and so now she passes out. Is that not the most fucked up list? Oh, gosh. That's the end of Act 2. I cannot <laughs> wait to kill all these people. Yeah, okay. So it's unambiguously like, all right, Norman, let's kill all these people. Now, keep in mind, this operation has to happen off the books because they're a math family. So, yep. and... Uh, oh, we've got a creepy doctors as well. So, we well, they've art. had to basically pay a doctor to do it. Now, the doctor explains that... Because they don't have the because they don't have the right drugs or the facilities in this creepy rundown hotel. Oh, hang on. I got confused. So all right. So wait, wait, wait. So Phoenix's real name is Tara. So so the mom okay. is just the mom. Phoenix's yeah. real name is Tara. Anyway, so now mm. I understand. And you know you know how like Wikipedia will be like, we call the Ugh. character Phoenix right up until the point they're revealed, and then we call it Tara. And it's very confusing. Remember in it how it sort of went between calling the thing it and Pennywise. And I was like, eh, Pennywise walks down. It starts to run around the room. It's like, oh, yeah, hang on. What are we <laughs> it's that. Okay, all right. Mm. So... So due to the fact that the doctor hasn't the right doesn't have the right facilities or drugs, Tara has to be conscious while her heart is being removed. Um okay. 
That's deeply upsetting. At this point, at this point, we cut to the gang who were looking at the looking at Tara as she walked down the stairs, and all the gang are like, "I don't know if this is cool." <laughs> like, there's actually a scene where the gang's like, "Are we the bad guys? Are we? Ugh. Is this cool? Why are we operating on a like conscious eleven-year-old uh, girl?" What's, what's that called? Vivisection. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Anyway. Oh, Shag, I'm really upset. Uh, I was like, is this a horror movie or just a nice revenge type style? Mm. So it's definitely. Oh, the operation doesn't happen. Sorry, that's good. Yeah, yeah so, okay. so a power <laughs> blackout prevents the procedure, and Raylan's men are ambushed by Norman, who explodes. What caused the power blackout? <laughs> <laughs> I also do love the movie trope of how easy it is to just cause a blackout in a building. It's like, yeah, I'll no, just go I'll around. The power switch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut the power cable. <laughs> but I do like how he's got a catchphrase now. Of like, so every film, our director's got to be like, oh, fuck, how do we make it dark? So he can say, now you're going to see what I see. Or whatever it is. <laughs> so a power blackout prevents the procedure, and Raylan's <clears throat> men are ambushed by Norman, who exploits the dark to pick them off one by one, except for Raul, who is one of the characters. He's sort of bane. He'll be like, you think the darkness is your... <laughs> no, Raul was, was one of the ones who was like, is it cool what we're doing? <laughs> and so Raul lets him go, having found out Raylan's real intentions about getting Tara back. Using smoke bombs, because remember, Norman is a Navy SEAL, so, Norman kills the surgeon and engages Raylan. During- the fun thing is that when you are a Navy SEAL, after you retire, they give you heaps of smoke bombs <laughs> just, for your, <laughs> just for your retirement. <laughs> So during the fight, a stray gunshot by Raylan kills Tara's mother, which causes her own wheelchair to move. Now, remember, so, uh, and that, not even remember, I didn't even reveal this. <clears throat> so basically, Raylan and Tara's mum try to escape, and Tara's mum's like, you're not going anywhere, Tara, and handcuffs her to the wheelchair. Oh, God. Anyway, so... And then, and then when Norman finally confronts them, they're in the abandoned pool in this hotel complex. And the pool is giant and empty. So basically, this wheelchair is slowly going towards this empty yes. pool. Um, anyway, so... I'm envisioning like a Tony Hawk level. It's basically like a Tony Hawk level. It's essentially that. So a stray gunshot by Raylan kills Tara's mother, which causes her own wheelchair to move, dragging a handcuffed Tara. Norman manages to gouge out Raylan's eyes and leave him for dead and basically be like, now you see what I see. Oh, God. Okay. While Tara, still handcuffed at her own mother's wheelchair, escapes by cutting off her mother's arm just as Josephine's body falls down the pool along with her wheelchair and Tara herself. So I'm guessing Josephine... Is the name of the mother. Anyway, <laughs> a badly wounded Norman confirms to Tara that her father was telling the truth. He confesses his crimes, including murder and rape, and tells her to flee to safety. Raylan appears and stabs Norman, only to be fatally stabbed by Tara, resulting in Raylan falling down the empty pool to his wife's corpse. Tara attempts to help Norman. Oh, well, they married. Okay. Well, <laughs> Tara, Tara attempts to help Norman, claiming she can save him, to which she replies she already has. <laughs> Whatever that means. Oh, yeah, because he's like, yes, I am a good guy now. It is right. <laughs> I have been. <laughs> I have been forgiven. It's good. Before apparently succumbing to his wounds. Tara nice. leaves and heads to a children's home she had seen earlier. She approaches the group of children from the start of the film and introduces herself as Phoenix, not as Tara. Uh, a short post-credit scene. She's been reborn, Jack. It's good. 
A short post-credit scene shows Raylan's dog approaching Norman's seemingly dead body. The scene ends as the camera focuses on the dog licking Norman's hand, fingers flickering, hinting that he may still be alive. Dogs. The theme of dogs coming back. It's so good. You can't go anywhere without them. Juice. Juice. Um, so you know, whether or not you can see and whether or not your ability to see has changed over time, it's good. Some regulation plans for Navy SEALs, <laughs> <laughs> including smoke bombs. Jack, that's the funnest one. I would watch that. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?